why was I getting the results in my life and my health and my relationship that other people weren't getting? And I didn't even really stop to think about it until people started coming to us to say, how did you do it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, how did you heal your body? I had endometriosis, hypothyroidism. I'd had migraines, three traumatic brain injuries. I'd been in a coma, numerous broken bones. So the list goes on and on and on, fibromyalgia. And when I first got introduced to this work, I was just trying to get my life to suck less. Welcome to the Way of the Healer Conversations for Change podcast. I'm your host, Darieth Chisholm. Here, you'll meet some of the world's most extraordinary thought leaders and experts, iconic artists and creators, top performing athletes, successful entrepreneurs, philanthropists, spiritual teachers, shamans, healers, and many, many more. They sit with me, an Emmy award-winning TV host and former news anchor turned filmmaker and life and business coach for some powerful conversations for change. What are these conversations about? Healing. Healing, healing all aspects of our mind, body, soul, spirit, this planet, each other, and the systems and structures we're currently living in. You'll learn about topics like plant medicine and psychedelics, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, conscious communication, the new earth, quantum leaping, multidimensional living, pleasure, play, and sexuality, breathwork, sound healing, food and supplements, and ah, there's just so much. You're just going to need to subscribe to the channel and listen. Come with me now behind the curtain to get the backstory on how and why these remarkable people heal themselves and others, how they lead, what makes them tick, what lights them up, gets them down, keeps them going, and what they believe is the way of the healer. So let's go. amazing Cole Witty as my guest today on the Way of the Healer podcast. So Cole and her husband, Top, founded a company called The Condor Approach that brings a fresh and inclusive approach to healing and transformation with the use of psychedelics and plant medicine. It's built on the principles of inclusivity, collaboration, and reciprocity, honoring spiritual and master teachers in the forms of plants, humans, and animals. As the demand for psychedelics healing continues to grow across the country and of course the world, the Condor approach offers a unique done with you method that empowers coaches to integrate transformative experiences with their clients. With more states embracing psychedelics for healing, their belief in mandatory integration guides their training. Cole says that access to tools alone is not enough it's real-time application and integration that truly makes the difference. On this episode, we talk about confronting trauma and embracing gratitude for even the toughest experiences and how our bodies hold on to trauma and pain and how to release it. We also talk about the essential questions to consider before a plant medicine ceremony and journey and so much more around communities of color, women, and indigenous populations, and how the health, pharmaceutical, and wellness industries are implementing the use of psychedelics. As you can see, a lot to dive into, so please stay until the end and enjoy this episode, and let's go. Plant medicine, psychedelics, and cannabis have really helped me deepen my meditation practice and morning routine. And while you don't necessarily need our plant natural allies to assist you in meditation, 
I find that with meditation, I'm able to have more clarity, direction, purpose, and allow divine guidance and wisdom to flow through me. Stillness and quieting the mind allows you to access more of who and what you truly are. And that's where you can activate more creative expression and fulfillment of your dreams. As a gift to you, my friends, I've designed a special high frequency activation to help you encode, embrace, and elevate your consciousness to ignite your creativity and passion. It's free and available for a limited time. Go to dariuth.com forward slash meditations to receive a guided meditation series with journal prompts and attuned high frequency sound waves. That's dariuth.com forward slash meditations. We're going to be talking all about medicine and all that it takes to really integrate with plant medicine. But I decided to hit this recorder because we were already riffing on <laughs> like you decide that you want to not only step into this healing platform and use certain tools, but then you got to know how to use your own tools. Oh, listen, and you figure out what tools got you to where they could get you and they're not going to get you any farther. So you're going to have to get some new tools. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But, you know, you and Ta are doing amazing work in the world, working with other uh, coaches and people who are working with psychedelics and plant medicine, helping them to understand how important it is to integrate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So in your own journey and in, in your own process of understanding that, um, what, what was it that brought you both to this place of deciding that uh, integration is not optional? You know, I don't know that it, I was brought to a place versus looking in retrospect. Why was I getting the results in my life and my health and my relationship that other people weren't getting? And I didn't even really stop to think about it until people started coming to us to say, how did you do it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, how did you heal your body? I had endometriosis, hypothyroidism. I'd had migraines, three traumatic brain injuries. I'd been in a coma, numerous broken bones. So the list goes on and on and on, fibromyalgia. And when I first got introduced to this work, I was just trying to get my life to suck less. It was like, I from a scale of zero to 10, I came into this, if I can get my pain to a six consistently, that's enough to get out of bed. That's enough to go live my life, to enjoy family and friends. But in finding the work with psychedelics and you know working with plants as teachers and fungi as teachers, that's where I started to, not until then did I see pain-free would ever even be a possibility. And so if some, if I would have heard someone like me, you know, seeing my posts on social media, I'm having this great time, I'm laughing, whatever. And I'm also sharing my crying and everything else. I don't only share, you know, the pleasant parts of it all, but my ability to hold space for both actually increased. My life for so many years was so consumed in pain, there was no room for pleasure, for joy, because it was just so dense and so heavy and nothing blocks purpose like pain. So it was also another safety mechanism on tons of different levels. And so until I had to, you know, I mean, I'm gonna back it up just a smidge to give a little screenshot of how I even ended up getting to the pain point because that will help, I think, anyone listening to understand what I've had to learn as far as tools and skills to end up here. So the, the Cliff's Note version, 
I grew up just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, very conservative, Mormon LDS family, whole community, same thing. And there were events that happened from eight to 12 that I now label as assaults on my sexuality. Different episode, different topic, or for another day, we'll say. The way that I internalized shame from those experiences made me make decisions in my teens that put me into an at-risk youth category, dropped out of school, I didn't graduate from high school, and ended up in a coma at 17 from a contaminated batch of GHB known as the date rape drug, but we would use it to come down off of stimulants. So it would help you come down so that you don't stay up because you do need to sleep. And so there was a contaminated batch that put about nine people in the hospital that night. I got the worst of it. I was the smallest and, and female. Um, and so I ended up flatlined, dropped off at the hospital under a Jane Doe. And so then I turned that around. I said, well, this path's not going to work. And I didn't want my younger sister to end up like me. So I decided I'd have to find something else to grab onto. And so I did the Miss Utah Teen USA pageant. Now their platform was substance abuse education. So I told them if anyone um, could educate youth on the dangers of club drugs, I think I'm your person. And at this point, I'd only been three months since my coma. And they said, we agree. So then I became a spokesperson for the D.A.R.E. program for uh, Partnership for a Drug-Free America. I was working with the U.S. government on the military chapters for addiction and opi opioids overseas. And so for me to have to get full circle to come even back to master teachers in plant, animal, or fungi form was a journey in itself, plus the constructs of religion, plus the constructs of, well, then who am I after telling millions of people from national talk shows like Montel Williams to magazine articles to wherever, I'm this imposter now that shared my story all those years. And now here I am using, am I really just an addict making an excuse? So there were all these layers of beliefs and identity and constructs and trauma that created a pain body that was so strong, shame, guilt driven that at 26, I couldn't take another step. Um, that's when the medical conditions were pretty much at their worst. And I was at Disneyland with my, um, I call him my husband, my first husband. <laughs> and my body was so swollen, my knees were hurting so bad, I couldn't take another step. And that was my first universal sign that I was gonna have to sit down and do some evaluation that my body would not permit me to take another step in the life I was in, in the way that I was living it. And that was kind of what kicked off my journey towards working with psychedelics in a healing capacity is I had to, I didn't really have a choice. When you get desperate enough, you're willing to do things a whole lot differently. Yeah. So that Two kicked off my personal journey and it picked up from there. Yeah, and we'll talk about how you're working with other people who are actually uh, working to support people who are uh, using psychedelics. But but two things that that I'd love to to kind of go back on is that your you, you know this this concept of these are drugs, right? And the and and paralleling them or or comparing them with other drugs, right? And and that notion that keeps people away from the use of plant medicine and psychedelics, mm -hmm. 
I mean, that is very steep. And most of that obviously is conditioning and things that people hear. But how is it that people can come to understand that we're not talking about street drugs and what that or even alcohol for that matter, right? Mm -hmm. But what we're talking about is a, a, a highly intelligent uh, um, plant medicine that has the wherewithal to heal not only the physical, but also the mental, emotional and spiritual. A hundred percent. And that you said some very key things there is the intelligence difference. And it's something that if when someone's very skeptical, it's a hard thing to convince anyone, right? And so I think one of the one of the greatest entry points to that is really studying some of the indigenous cultures that it's been a part a part of their practice for a really long time. There's obviously great documentaries and kind of ways to bridge these ancient technologies <clears throat> and these more modern practices and ideas. But ultimately, if we even just compare it to religion, prayer, or um, having visions or prophecies or all of that, I think that it goes deeper into the fear that if I question my beliefs, then I'm questioning my religion and that I can't hold psychedelics and my religious beliefs in the same container. And so the invitation, I think, when it comes to curiosity is places like Peru, where many of the tribes have actually even taken on Christian beliefs, but they still have the indigenous practices because that's the evolution since the conquerors went to Peru, for example. And so my invitation really is always to question the resistance because that resistance is fear-based. And if we are certain in our belief, if we know our beliefs to be true, then leaning into curiosity shouldn't pose as a threat. And so my thing usually with people is if they're feeling that big resistance, like, oh, it's a drug, that fear-based thing, um, fear and contraction put us in a state of dis-ease in the body. And the more we are at the more we are uneasy, the more our body is creating a environment for dis-ease to live. And so if we say on one hand that we want to be fearless and strong and grow, but not that that's bad, that is, I think, inviting the same kind of dysfunction that's not working for people. And so I understand the fear parts, especially with addiction and what we've been conditioned into. I think that even by looking at the research, what it's doing for veterans and PTSD and veterans who also used substances or are on such severe uh, pharmaceutical drugs that do have bad outcomes, that prolonged use degrade them, that the best place to start is look at some of the indigenous practices historically and then look at some of the newer research if you have a hard time kind of bridging that gap we'll say because the research is even showing people are having very mystical experiences seeing god seeing a loved one that passed on and so we can hide from it or we can at least lean into the research if that's safe for you or into the indigenous practices and what it really is to understand the intelligence of it it's not a chemical reaction that's happening it's just in the research they don't talk about the more they'll just call it they had a mystical experience when really it is the mystical experience that impacts most so deeply. Yeah. And so that takes me to this, the question about when you were, when the physical body was so broken down and you had to begin to make the changes, how is it that the use of psychedelics were able to help you physically? Because I think most people have the association of what is happening to my brain or what am I feeling spiritually? But there's also obviously the strong connection to the physical body. Yes. 
And so, and most people are associating like pharmaceuticals. If I take a, you know, painkiller, it's killing pain or dissociating me from the pain on some level. With these power plants and master mushrooms, what they're doing is actually allowing us to see what's causing the pain. So, for example, for me, my endometriosis from what I was shown and has been inactive now since 2009. I haven't had a laparoscopy. So I think we can set, we can settle on the fact that it is quite effective if we're this far down the line. For me, my endometriosis was internalized shame from the assaults on my sexuality from eight to 12. So as I started to mature, my first cycle was the same weekend as the hello dance for high school. That was the first night I had to go and get an emergency. Um, I was having an ovarian torsion. And so in one of my psychedelic experiences, I was shown how those years of shame turned me in on myself and was almost rejecting my sexuality, my reproductive area as a result. And so I had to go through a process of self-forgiveness. Yes, forgive the parties involved and however that rippled to them, but most importantly, to forgive myself. And in that forgiving, forgiving process, also look at all the other times that I did not honor my body, that in my, you know, relationships maybe leaned into intimacy when I didn't want to because I felt a sense of obligation. So it wasn't non-consensual from my mind, but my body was saying no. And there was a process of forgiveness with me and my mind, me and my childhood me, me and my body, and making commitments to listen more closely to the cues of my body, to honor my body, to get consent from my body in all ways. And that helped me to release that shame. And that ever since then has been the difference. And so when I started to timeline, because all these injuries and broken bones and illnesses, then I got curious. If that was that, then what else might my body have been saying that I'm missing? And so I went back to since even in my birth story for my mother. And I timelined my whole life up to that point and looked at every illness, strep throat, bronchitis, pneumonia. I mean, anything I could think of, accidents, crash on my bike. And I looked at what part of the body was impacted. And then I looked at what was going on in my external environment. And I found a really interesting pattern that when I got a physical accident or illness, like we'll say, for example, uh, like my collarbone I broke in elementary school and I was getting nonstop strep throat. It's around the throat chakra or just the throat in general. Communication, expression. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like I could speak up. And so when I started to look at all these injuries and just track them, I just found these fascinating connections. And then I became obsessed. Then I started to track everything. And that's what started to develop into what we do now is it was literally just my relentless commitment that pain frame might be possible then. If this can heal, then maybe other things can too. Yeah. And, and let's talk about this approach that, that you use when you work uh, with clients that obviously both you and your, your husband have used personally uh, and how that helps people when they are utilizing uh, plant medicine uh, and or psychedelics to really integrate that into our chakra system, but then into our physical body as a full manifestation of making those shifts and changes that might be locked into whatever emotional programming we have. Mm -hmm. So we call it the condor approach. And like you said, things get locked in because our body's comprised of habits. And so there's instinctual habits 
that are based off of past experiences. So if it, as a child, I got stung by a bee, I may be afraid of bees now and react that's not consciously, right? It's that my body made an association, this thing is dangerous or to stay away from this thing. And so what that allowed me to do is, is I started to define, okay, what has my body been through in the past, made this own little map. Then I started to, people started to ask me, well, how? And then I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm integrating. And so what integration is to me is when we take the big realization, and it could come from plant medicine experience, it could come from a ketamine session, it could come from a Tony Robbins event, right? A breathwork session. Integration is the action we take, consciously or not, after a big realization. But a big realization without action stays a dream. It doesn't come into the 3D. And so when I say integration, I'm talking about the intentional actions after a big breakthrough or realization. And it doesn't have to be big, but just after anything, after pregnancy, after giving birth, after a divorce, after graduating from high school, after, you know, retiring from being a medical professional, all those things, we have to integrate old identities, new identities, the people in the environment around us. And so for us, integration, when it's done intentionally, is the difference in doing it with more ease and flexibility and resiliency because we're not taught that. Yeah. And, and so, I would go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and I would imagine that integration looks different for everyone and is a different process depending on what it is that we're integrating. Yes, exactly. So I look at it like a sandcastle, right? So we can build and construct this beautiful sandcastle, then a wave comes in and wipes out the sandcastle. With intention, we can create it the way that we want. The way that you want your sandcastle to look is not going to be like me. And what you want right now might not be the same thing you want two years from now. And so it was how do we do a unique process that is individual, but it's still repeatable and it's measurable? Because what we don't track, we can't change. And there's this interesting dichotomy when it comes to working with these master teachers of not controlling it and at the same time having influence. So when I'm doing integration, it's like, okay, so just like a broken bone, if a bone, a bone gets broken, it gets disintegrated. It's gonna heal no matter what. Someone's gonna heal no matter what, but that doesn't mean it heals optimally. If you've seen someone with a severe scoliosis or a deformity, it healed that way. But when we heal intentionally, that's like putting a cast on an arm or making sure it's in the proper position so that it can heal for the most optimal outcome in the future, that it's usable and ideally stronger and better than before. But just like a cast, you can't stay on SSRIs forever. I mean, you can, but it's going to have other adverse events. You can't, anytime you're going to have a support structure, there has to be other means to strengthen the person, the process, just like a cast has to come off, we have to build resiliency and strength. And so when it comes to integration, what we're really looking to do is on a daily basis, what do you track that matters to you? Does that, is it for one person, I want to be kinder with how I handle my kids? You know, like they don't deserve to get my stress from my job or being a single parent or whatever. That's not their fault. And yet I'm projecting at them. So what is the plan? We call it the what happens when. So by having the same questions to ask yourself, you're self-sourcing. It's between you, God, your ancestors, your spirit guides, whatever that is for you.
But there are certain questions we found that everyone can benefit from because it's just helping them to answer it for themselves every day. And simplified, it's are you being the version of yourself you want to be? And if not, what is it? What do you need to know, do, be, or understand to support that, to elevate that, to expand it? So that's the simplified, simplified of what the approach does is to help people trust themselves and come up with a plan. Did you know that beyond this podcast that I help busy entrepreneurs, storytellers, artists, creatives, and healers who might be feeling a little bit bored and burnt out and trying to figure out what to do next and what's my purpose in life, really find those answers? How? I say it's through shifting. It's just a matter of shifting your vibration and your frequency to higher states of consciousness and awareness in order to find the answers and live the life that we truly desire to live. So if you want to become a deliberate conscious creator who is enjoying the creations and the manifestations that you are experiencing in life, then I invite you to be a part of a very special five-week intensive. You can get all the details at dariath.com forward slash shift to learn more. You can experience wholeness, personal freedom, expanded states of creativity, confidence, and flow while achieving your goals and flourishing in your unique gifts and talents. After this podcast episode, please head over to dariath.com forward slash shift to learn more about it. Yeah, to support I, that trust. I should point out that some of those questions and some of the information that you provide within the Condor approach is included in the free guide that we have available uh, Uh, that is how to begin your plant medicine journey. We'll make sure that we include a link to that free guide uh, in the show notes of this episode, as well as if you're watching on YouTube uh, down below. I think you'll find that very useful. And that was provided to us in part um, from Cole and Ta and many others that uh, we worked with to develop the guide. So you'll find that. You'll also get all of the links and information to reach out to her um, as well. Uh, so to continue on with the conversation, so this this idea that integrational integration is not optional, it's clear just based on the conversation that we've had is that whatever experience someone is having, that time afterwards to to have it fully integrated and make meaning of it is so very important. What happens when we don't? Well, you're going to heal the way that you heal. And what's really challenging is when you connect to the divine in these ways, when you have these big realizations and you return back to an environment, now you know what doesn't work. Now you know how far you might be from where you wanna be and you can't unknow what you know and it can actually make someone's health degrade faster because ignorance, as they say, is bliss. And so when we say, I wanna know the truth, so we seek the truth, but then we are unwilling to make the changes necessary, then it's almost, we call it multi-construct strain. Now there's who I believe myself to be, who I want to be, who I'm building to be. And then there's the old identities that weigh us down, that get us more frustrated, that get us, because for me, it's literally creating a tension point that it's going to keep bending until it breaks. So if, if you have a big realization and you bring intentionality, we can come up with a blueprint, right? For me, it's like remodeling a house. 
if someone says, I'm done, I don't want to do this life anymore, and they go to the jungle for 30 days and do ayahuasca for, you know, 10 times and whatever, they go the harder, faster, more now approach to it, thinking I'll just bust through all my trauma in 30 days. What can happen is it's like remodeling a house. You just go start blowing out walls, but you don't know what are load bearing. You don't understand on the other infrastructure of the constructs that create you, that literally help you operate day to day, can get so compromised that the whole ceiling collapses in. You can't work. If your kids depend on you for insurance, for other reasons, too much too fast can be a collapse of the entire infrastructure. Your traumas create adaptations. Those adaptations help you function. So if you just blow them all out without understanding what they're supporting, it can actually be damaging. And so what what often people are doing is they're going for the weekend, then they're going back to work on Monday. But now they have to try to be the person that can do the job, but now they really can't because they had this big realization. And so what happens is more distress can happen because they can't unknow what they know. And then maybe no one in their family knows they went and did it. So they get more isolated. Say they went to the jungle and came back home, but they don't have community. For me, without community, I find that isolation can increase and I see a higher potential of suicide or suicidal ideation at at least because now they feel even more separate from their environment with no, they're a person out in the middle of the sea, you know, no, just one little life preserver holding their head above water. But that can make you feel more powerless. That can make you feel more overwhelmed when you realize you have an ocean to swim through versus you thought you were maybe in a lake. Yeah. Yeah. And this really brings up a really important conversation that I think needs to be had more often, particularly with people who are uh, you know, desiring to head to the jungle for the weekend or you know, make sure that they've got it on their bucket list that they have experienced ayahuasca or wachuma or Um, 5-MeO DMT, which we know definitely you need some integration from, and not being able to come back and assimilate the experience, integrate uh, the next steps and move forward. And in fact, as you point out, you could end up doing even more damage to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's starting to become more common Um, especially as more people are seeing the documentaries, they're reading the research. And the thing is, the research is saying, look, six months later, all these people have almost no effect of their depression. This is a miracle. We're forgetting that they were deeply um, vetted for the intake process to be the right candidate. And in in a controlled environment, of course, we're going to get a better outcome because it is a controlled environment. They have someone checking in on them. They have therapy after. They have talk sessions. This is where, for me, the importance of psychedelic-informed coaching is to help kind of bridge that from the jungle or the ancient traditions or the uh, indigenous traditions. Or even here in the States, people are coming back from these very big experiences. They don't know what to do next. And so how do I okay, great, I saw these entities that told me I have a big mission and a big purpose, and then I come back to sit at my desk in a cubicle, you know, at a call center. How do you reconcile that? And so those can all have beautiful messages and gifts, but if you don't have anyone there, because most shaman are not coaches, they're not there to help you integrate. It's not part of the tradition. They live integrated. 
So they don't even really understand what someone would need from that, especially coming from the States for those that have never been here. And so someone has the big experience, they come back, they don't know what to do. So it's almost like they have to either bypass it more or they start doing what we call journey hopping. So they come back to the States. Now they're, now they're giving themselves permission to maybe not have to go to Peru. They're willing to explore in the underground because of cost and access. But the problem is they're doing Bufo on Friday, Cambo on Saturday, going in, you know, they're doing hape every morning before work on their lunch break. Hape is a, a tobacco for those that don't know, uh, and still very addictive actually, because it's got a lot of nicotine in it. So if you take someone that has an addictive personality and we'll say how I determine that is lots of caffeine, like just, I would say, consistently looking for a way to give themselves energy Ape does a beautiful job of that. It also does a beautiful job of clearing your mind and grounding you in the moment of now. But if you don't take actions to clear the chaos and the noise, so you have to rely on a substance or master teacher to do that for you, your body in time will start to show signs of wear. You know, I see a lot of shaman and spiritual workers with uh, liver issues, kidney issues, filtering, because they're filtering all this energy for other people. But the physical body is still a vehicle that must be tended to. And so there's still this disconnect when people come back here and start working with someone in the underground that maybe doesn't know the signs of wear and tear or nightmares or potential entity or potential, like there's all these other aspects that a lot of folks don't know. And then a lot of times they're not going back and either telling the facilitator that they're not okay, that they're not integrating well, or they're thinking it must be something wrong with me of why I'm not able to integrate this, or they're getting dismissed by facilitators of like, oh no, you're good. This is, you had an ego death, that's good. But the person can't work. It's not good. It's not functional, right? Yeah. And so the harm, unfortunately, I'm watching increase exponentially because there's a lack of intake process and there is a lack of a plan integration and every facilitator doesn't need to be an integrator they need someone to refer to and they need from my and i say need as in for optimal results we'll say they do need to bring someone on their team for a smooth handoff that's included in the package where it's like you come work with me and then i hand you to you know so and so comes in and they're gonna care for you these next 30 days minimum because there's just people go back to work and then the kids have sports and then they're back at gymnastics and they don't take the time in the space really required to embody. And for me, really walk the walk of these master teachers. And so then the next weekend they're back in it again because they've forgotten, they've slid back into the old ways. But integration is a process. It's a practice. It's not the morning after the journey. It's yeah, a lifestyle. It yeah, and, and I can certainly attest to that in my own personal experience. It's not, you know, the conversation that you have in the circle right after the, the journey. It is, in fact, the, the ongoing process that occurs. Um, and even my own personal experience, you know, I found that the need to, to be focused on my full integration after having a full year last year of multiple experiences with several different psychedelics and plant medicine, partly because I was filming a documentary, but secondly, because I had access 
did, did I not feel the entire weight until the end of the year? And I was like, what is happening to me? And, and, you know, I, that's why I'm just such a firm believer in, in people really having um, this, this full understanding that integration is so different for so many different people. And it is a process that you want to remain open and available to and having the tools and the resources and the people to turn to when you're trying to move through it, um, which I, I think is so really important. Several more conversations that I want to get into in a moment, but before we we pull off the one that we're having about what is what can physically occur uh, because of, of people's either multiple journeys or not fully integrating, I believe this also occurs when people also in their first experiences of literally being opened to expanded states of consciousness and now having this access or communication um, that they may not have had in the past or may not have been aware of that they had. And now there are these waves of energy that is moving through um, as one is, is either expanding into higher states of consciousness or at least opening that up. And so whether they're receiving it through channel or through message, but that it is can be so full on and that can happen months after you've had an experience. Absolutely. I look at it like a fire hose, right? At first, let's say the fire hose is made of paper because the whole life, that's the only container someone needed because the water was turned down so low, it, it wasn't going to wear down the paper. So this little hose has water like a straw. It's just dripping through, it has time to dry, but then you start to open up these places and spaces. For us, we call it the logic ceiling. And in essence, it's like we start in a more contracted state when we are in a very stressed state, very contracted, very tight. And then we go into this open state of consciousness, this expansion out, just like your lungs when you breathe, just like your heartbeat. You receive all of this information, but then it does need to contract again, and then it connects through the body. The problem is, when that fire hose get turned up, if you don't learn something like Qigong, other ways to move your energy, um, spiritual hygiene, things like that, that I would have not, I did not ascribe to any of that 15 years ago. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I was adverse, but again, I grew up LDS. So those things were the devil, evil, you know, whatever. And now I'm wearing crystals on each hand and I usually have, you know, I've got a yiming shoe on my neck and, and all sorts of things. So now I understand the difference after sitting and being in so many containers, how one, I was taking on people's illness and stress. I didn't know. Like I, I knew I was empathic, like empathetic. I didn't know that I was literally carrying the weight of people on my shoulders. And that's what was calling, causing a lot of my scoliosis was the pressure on my back. And so as I started to really understand this more, I've got way more dedicated to how do I also develop my energetic body or fortify that fire hose to make it a stronger container for all of the pressure moving through. Because if you're going to serve a lot of people, and I don't mean serve medicine, I mean just serve and be in service to people, you're filtering their energy too. So you have consciousness coming from up, you have people around you coming from every direction. If you don't start to really understand the energetic spiritual body, then the physical body doesn't grow with it. They don't always communicate and change at the same pace. Spirit body can happen simultaneously, but the body takes time to acclimate. So for me, 
I usually say the best way to explore your energetic body is something like Qigong to really start to feel the difference and then practicing that in ceremony. What, when you're walking by people, can you feel the difference in your body around different people? And if you feel kind of crazy in your body in a group ceremony, remove yourself first before you start to dig into what is this quote unquote wrong with me because you could be picking up someone else's stuff which that's a different thing to work on than what trauma has me doing this. And then the other thing that I really love is depending on what's happening in the physical body. If you're feeling very inflexible, your spirit body may benefit from yoga, some more flexibility in the physical body, right? Your spirit body could feel restricted by the physical body. And so by finding more flexibility in the physical body can help allow the spirit body to have more harmony within the structure or if i'm feeling very weak in my physical body and strong in my spirit body then i may want to do heavier lifting to get my body fortified to support the heavier fuller stronger spiritual body so for me sometimes what's going on in my physical body is trying to show me that it's not it there's it's not harm there's not harmony with my spirit body and my physical body and if my spiritual body is bigger and more expansive and my body can't hold the, the, the amount, then the body shows signs. That's why I'm obsessed with body tracking, which is part of what we do in the Condor Approach book is daily tracking because your body's always giving you signals. It's always giving you cues, but only you can translate what that is for you. Yeah. And a beautiful um, point for those healers that might be listening and or just people who are serving people in whatever capacity um, that really paying attention to the body and the signals that you're getting in ways that you can um, help to to move the energy, whether it's physical or spiritual, um, you know, when you are working with other people, uh, which can be intense in, in a variety of different ways. So speaking of working with other people and and where we're going, you know, when if we if we were to look out five to 10 years um, from now with now more people being curious about psychedelics and plant medicine with uh, this wave of of, you know, psychedelics being now made uh, available for therapists and, and other uses, what do you see happening and or what what can happen to help to mitigate the growth that is likely about to occur if it isn't already occurring? Yeah. I mean, it's already, it's already occurring. There's a Dr. Erica Zelfand, I uh, just had a conversation with her a few weeks ago. She's up in Oregon and she's running the first legal uh, psilocybin therapy. Hers was the first approved from the US government running in Oregon. And her and I were talking and she was sharing that right now, at best, she can support three clients a week. Now, in our country right now, we've got the, the numbers vary depending on where you look. But let's just say for the high, it's between 120 and 200,000 therapists in the United States. We have 330 million people here. And so we already have an access issue for mental health. Then if you look at the demographic of therapists, it's 74% white women. So we have communities, if they're not represented, they're not gonna feel safe in an environment where they could be going into an altered state in addition to what has their ancestry, what's in their DNA, what has been through, that has been passed down into their physical body. And so there's so many layers that again, why the intake process is important and why therapy alone is not going to be the answer. 
That's one answer. It's a beautiful answer for people that maybe have contraindications, they're on certain medications, they want to have more of a medicalized model of care, they feel safer there, fantastic. Cost-wise, not accessible either. Uh, most treatments are ranging between two and $3,000. Not many people can afford that. The way that insurance is structured, you can only get insurance for portions of the service. So it's not covering, you know, at best 30, 40%. And so moving forward, we're going to see more burnt out therapists because they want to help. And then we're getting this influx of people that want to be psychedelic psychotherapists or psychedelic therapists. But again, if you're coming in with that savior complex or you want to help people, it's usually to the detriment of yourself. We see that with a lot of healers, nurses, doctors, first responders, when they're in the space, they came to really help people, but then their own body starts to health and they become patients as a result happened with my husband. It's happened more times than we can count. And so we've got all these people who have been deeply impacted by psychedelics. They want to help others, but at best, if they can do three to five sessions per week, that's at burnout, according to the therapists that are doing it at that right now. Most say they can do two to three a week because they've got a downtime. It is heavy. You're dealing with trauma. You're dealing with heavy things and then the energy of it. And so moving forward and kind of looking in this next five years, the underground, whether anyone likes it or not, is already having a huge explosion. And if we look at the cannabis industry and we look at the psychedelic industry, the issues that we've seen in cannabis, we're going to see in psilocybin particularly as well for the sheer fact of to get a license. Like right now it's legal in Oregon, in parts of Colorado, other areas decriminalized to work with psilocybin but it's gray right now. Once they come up with the regulations of who can have a license under what context and what conditions, then we're gonna have a lot of limitation of who has access. Because people with say a past criminal record like we saw with cannabis aren't gonna be able to get a license, which means they're not gonna be able to work in their community or the government um, programs are so expensive for the licenses, most people can't access them in communities that need it the most. So all of that to say, this is where for me, psychedelic informed coaching in my perfect magical world of pixies and butterflies and rainbows and, and unicorns, every community is educated so they can hold space for their own community versus having top down support. It's really having that grassroots, the community healing each other because regardless of whether someone has been a shaman for 15 years or 15 days, someone that feels safe with the person they're sitting with because they look like them because they understand them will feel safer to go into themselves to do the work than someone that was maybe medically trained doesn't look like them doesn't talk like them doesn't come from any of the same lived experiences so for me this is why i'm so passionate in really doubling down in education on integration because i believe we're going to also see a massive explosion in home mycology of people growing their own mushrooms, their own medicine. And I would love to see more decriminalization efforts or legalization efforts like we've seen in other countries and places with cannabis where you can grow your own so people can truly connect to these intelligence in prayer, in music, from inception of, you know, its birth sprouting from the soil or from, you know, not necessarily soil, but from where it's growing until connecting to the energy and imbibing with it. 
and then we would still need support in education and integration and community models so that we're still doing our work alone but we're doing it together yeah. so that you ha you can really see each other and and when you look at people's access and ability whether they're growing their own and or um getting if you if you will through the underground without having those advanced models of therapy so to speak or or the support that one would need what it what what do we run the risk of and and i'm talking about particularly in communities that don't have access that they may have access to psilocybin uh, or other substances, but they don't have access to the type of support that they need for full integration. I mean, then we can see deeper traumatization. Um, for example, if someone lives in a very violent environment, their potential for wanting to go into altered states and other dimensions to do more spiritual work is higher because it's a safer place to be. They feel more connected. They feel more fulfilled. They feel like they're a part of something. And then when they come back to gunshots and craziness outside, they they still can't get out of that because now they're only escaping where they currently are to have significance somewhere else to be a spiritual warrior, but still not able to make the changes in their third dimensional life to improve, we'll say like the uh, wealth dynamics necessary for them to take care of their kids to not continue and perpetuate they're not going to be as present for kids right if they're out doing the work in other realms and so we'll still see trauma continuing in many ways because the systems aren't changing their internal system but it's internally in consciousness not in the third dimension it's not integrating it's not coming to here right. uh, because a lot of it lacks the language because there's still a lack of education in what it is to be in the third dimension. And so we have to have bridges from these ancient technology to the modern ones. The what happens when I had this big realization, now I know that I'm God, I know I'm valuable, I know that I'm worthy. And also understanding the skill of money. How can I create a community model that's a low cost, but that is creating an ecosystem for the community when it, within itself? How do I set up an LLC? How do I pay taxes, even if I'm not selling substances, but I'm, you know, having community gatherings to help support so that we can have some scholarship versus waiting for top-down government support because there, there's still such a huge gap and it's only going to grow with AI and other technologies that if we don't also get in the education of what does it mean if you now think that you're worthy in helping other people outside of yourself, not only in the realms, so that you can get a healing center, so that you could buy land so that you could create a safe space for your community that's not on the streets where you live because that's still not safe and so there, there's still such a huge gap between the two we can't only do spirit and we can't only do this third dimensional work it's got to bridge both for the communities to actually change i and am so, so that's what we're committed to yeah i'm so glad that you and ta are doing this type of work because this is this is so much more than understanding the aspects of integration obviously and uh, really working with those people who are choosing to step into the space uh, as healers or providers or, in, or or facilitators or practitioners or therapists or or coach specialists, you know, there's there's a there's a vast number of people who could have the potential or possibility of working in this space. And as you point out, beyond that comes all of the other things that people also need to be trained and aware of in order to do it successfully for themselves and for others. 
and relationships, right? Like someone can have all these big realizations in the realms, but they still don't know how to communicate to people that are stuck in the old construct where they come from. How do I actually hold space and draw boundaries and be firm and not get triggered into raising my voice, anger, what all the conditioning and trauma has done? And so that's one of the trickiest parts is now I'm different, but how do I as a different person interact with the third dimensional world I'm still living in to bring healing outside of just giving people mushrooms? Because that's not the healing path for everyone. For me, when we can help someone to really be the divine articulation of the teachings, we're giving them the language to do so. They can feel it, but they don't often have the language for it. And by bringing the language, they can explain it to other people that aren't having these experiences and maybe never will. But maybe they've got kids where they want to be able to. Maybe they've got kids. Maybe they've got kids that they want to be able to have a better relationship with the parent with, you know, maybe they want to co-parent more. Maybe they'd like to take on more custody of the kids. Knowing how to communicate that is the difference for the children's future. Otherwise, they're actually just kind of dissociating from it one step further and leaving everyone else behind. So again, it goes back to integration. How do we integrate how it was to how we're going? What are your thoughts about, um, particularly as more traditional therapists um, and, and people that, that are would have the opportunity to to create space in a clinical setting uh, with the use of psychedelics, but don't necessarily have the understanding or wherewithal of of how indigenous communities have worked with these um, medicines for centuries. Like it's like that piece of it is left out when if it it's in the clinical setting. What are your thoughts about that? You know, it comes down to one of my uh, most, I would say, treasured teachers is Malku down in Peru. And he's, he made a beautiful comment before. I have a very different perspective than I did even five years ago. I would say I had a much more self-righteous uh, binary thought process around the medicalized models versus some of the more indigenous practices. And he said to me, tradition is a beautiful thing, but tradition can be a prison. And he started to, he's big on the history of shamanism and mysticism. And so he says, you know, a lot of these practices are not actually traditional. They are evolved from traditions, but for us to to sell them as that this is the traditional way is not accurate either. And so then it's how do we bring forward the education and that all of these models can exist. My invitation is to people that If you're working in this work in any capacity, make it your point to go and work with a tribe in Peru or to go down to the jungle or to go down to Mexico and work with some communities that have been doing it for a long time. There's also a big influx of, and this includes doctors. We've got more doctors going and doing the work, even though they're doing it clinically, to really understand the essence of this is really important, you know, to understand, even if you're working in a medicalized model, is there a way for me to have a contribution within my model to give back to certain communities, right? Like there, that is, there's so many ways for us to bring it in. I think the misstep is when we try to look at them as not a misstep. I'm seeing a lot of bifurcation where it's like, We're going to see psilocybin sold as called something else. You know, it'll get some other clinical name so they could trademark it and patent it and protect it and all of that stuff, which is why 
for me, I'm so committed to educating what psilocybin is, that it comes from mushrooms, that in most places in the United States, it grows, some type of it grows in the wild so that we don't continue to give our power away to the medicalized systems, mm-hmm. that it's the only way, because that's typically what we're sold. And then we're still continuing this compartmentalized version of consciousness, but I don't think that it's the only way. I just want people to be informed. My goal is that they are informed because as more people leave traditional religion, there's also, they're still looking for another God of sorts. And so if it goes to the plant medicines, then it's dysfunctional too. It's finding the power within the self and collaborating with these master teachers. That's why for me, I don't call it plant medicine. For me, they're master teachers that can illuminate where I am diseasy, where I am not safe, where I'm not feeling fulfilled, where I may need to have some conversations. But I come to them as a student, not a patient. Tremendous healing can happen for sure. So for us to separate shamanism and science doesn't make sense either. For me, there is nothing not scientific about mysticism. At some point, a shaman said, oh, I wonder if I combine these two right? They tested it. They had an hypothesis or they saw it in a dream or they had an inspiration. It's the lack of education that bothers me. It's Mm -hmm. that this separation from, um, and when I look at most of the scientific medicalized models, then it's predominantly white males that are in it, that are conducting the science that are also the ones participating in most of the science. And so that's for me where when someone asks me, I want to see the research and I'm like, well, that's fine, but let's talk about who the research is actually done by and for who and for what, because science is based by money because they have an intention that they want as far as an outcome. That's how they get the funding. And so in mysticism, the opportunity is, what would it mean for us to integrate both? What would it mean for us to be in the yes and not the or, but to say that maybe if one person has um they're diabetic they've got other contraindications they may be better in a medicalized model that didn't have to be absent of shamanism and mysticism and so this is where it's going to be interesting to watch because a lot of times people will start to think that they're like getting stomped on for their religion when really i've supported lots of mormons for example to embrace their religion more through psychedelics because they recognize now what it really is to be Christ, to be, you know, that essence and the embodiment of that. And they want to go and actually influence the church and the community that they're in because they they understand it deeper and they see the gifts of the religion. They merely see humans got a little sidestepped. So my, that is my hope is to see more of this. We don't have to choose and throw the baby out with the bathwater either way, but for, it's going to require whether it's the doctor or the facilitator to actively choose to learn more and then bring those voices forward and share them. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, if you had to define the meaning of the way of the healer, what does that mean for you? You know, when I really sink into the way of the healer, it's that calling on the path that it's a lifelong calling just like facilitation is even if someone wants to serve medicine you get the call you step onto the path but that doesn't mean serving today it means what do i need to know do be or understand for this vision 
who do I need to be to hold space for these people that I'm destined to hold space for? What do I need to do to fortify my body to be here as long as possible? Because our healers are dying young, 50s, 60s. And for me, it's the United States, we need our elders. We don't really have any here for the culture that's been here the last couple hundred years. And so for me, this is also the, the path of the healer is also the path of the elder of what it is, this new crone energy for this culture, for this society, where we're bridging so many of our cultural backgrounds into a path that we're all starting to walk, maybe for the first time in American history, as far as United States history of that for me feels like the the path of the healer in this context yeah yeah beautifully said thank you so so very much oh we could talk for hours which means i'm going to have to have you back for another episode <laughs> on all the other things that i'd intended to to have this conversation about um so much that you can learn from ta and cole at the condor approach those links will be made available for you at the bottom of this page, wherever you're viewing it. Uh, and if you're listening on a podcast platform, of course, you'll be able to double back to the show notes page to be able to find each of all of the links. They're all over social media, so you'll be able to just search for them to find them as well. Uh, and by all means, whether if you, if you are in this space and you're in this space or curious about this space and what do you do next and how do you learn and, and how do you integrate you want to check out the condor approach. There's so much there for you. So I encourage each and every one uh, to do that. And uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I mean, just if, uh, if anyone listening is hearing the call to answer it, you'll get every, just follow one breadcrumb at a time and you'll get there. Yeah, definitely. I love how my breadcrumbs led me to you. So that's that's what happens when you start to follow the breadcrumbs. So, uh, And with that said, I hope that all of you all listening will continue to follow the breadcrumbs and listen to all of the other amazing guests that we have here on The Way of the Healer. Cole, thank you so much for being here. And thank you everyone for watching and listening. Have a great day. Did you know this podcast is a part of an even larger docu-series? Yep, there is an entire documentary underway called The Way of the Healer, where I introduce you to extraordinary women from around the world who are transforming lives with the use of plant medicine and psychedelics. You can learn more about it at thewayofthehealer.com. Thanks for being a part of my day and for listening. Be sure to check out the website, thewayofthehealer.com, for more details, useful tools and links, free resources, and more. Disclaimer, the Way of the Healer Conversation for Change podcast and its host and guests are providing this information for educational purposes only. We do not condone nor condemn the selling, purchase, or use of any substances that are considered outside of legal acquisition or usage. We encourage discretion and safety when involving yourself or others with substances and activities that are deemed illegal by your official local government laws and agencies. It is your responsibility to research and know applicable laws.